Section 36. Fancy Wizard and Red Squiggles. The Idle Loop is a devil's playground. Developers on the Word team. Using a PC mystified most people, even in the workplace. Features designed to assist or help customers were always viewed positively, even necessary, as part of product reviews and magazines. Answer Wizard was our first attempt at using natural language processing and early artificial intelligence techniques to provide assistance in using ever more complex products. The early days of PCs were filled with in-person courses to learn the products, and these had given way to 600-page books that filled the shelves at Barnes & Noble and Tower Books, regurgitating every feature, menu, and dialogue box in alphabetical order. We had written thousands of pages, provided reference materials, created online, computer-based training, and more. But still, the first days of the PC era were marked with too much complexity and too high a hurdle to begin to use. Most people buying a new computer were also enrolling in courses that met for a couple of hours each week for a month or more. Courses were the upsell, much like today's extended warranty. One of the core problems was jargon. There are dozens of phrases in the user interface that look like words a normal person would know, but used in a way that only a techie might grok. Grok is a common expression for to understand that comes from stranger in a strange land. For example, PowerPoint, a tool few were comfortable with or had any understanding of, defied any logical English word or any native language. What is a slide master or meeting minder? What's a snap to grid? The worst were features that were not so obscure but used English words in a way that most people would not understand. Words mail merge or Excel's lists. We used to joke that we could put the version of Office with German language menu commands in front of English speakers, and they probably wouldn't even notice the difference. Answer Wizard was designed as a bridge between humans and computer jargon. If someone typed, how do I send letters to a list? Answer Wizard would find the mail merge feature in Word without literally going through all the menu items trying things at random. Sometimes commonly used symbols and words, such as the pilcrow or paragraph symbol, were totally unknown to regular people who would type questions into Answer Wizard, such as, how do I get rid of the elephant character? Answer Wizard was a collaboration with Microsoft Research and proved to be the foundation of future work in Office 96 being developed in parallel. Answer Wizard was the underlying technology of the natural language interface to what would become the Office Assistant or Clippy. The earliest research group at Microsoft was the natural language team, where they were working on big, hard problems of translation and understanding text. That technology was more than a decade away and ultimately developed by Google and not Microsoft. Instead, we collaborated with a group of new AI researchers, the first AI researchers at Microsoft Research, using Bayesian mathematics to probabilistically select from among a set of choices. Basically, we tried to use and add an external element of guessing to the solution rather than just do a definitive full-text search or index. The online version has a movie showing how Answer Wizard worked. The guessing was based on a small database of words not already in the index or help, like synonyms, but we called them metonyms. And we could map those to various articles in the help system. We brought together those who wrote documentation called User Education or User Ed, and for the first time, they're working on much more technology baked into the product. We renamed the team and the effort and called it User Assistance, or UA. It would be a few more years until we stopped referring to customers and humans as users, as we would often remark that only one other industry called its customers users.
One of the seemingly minor changes we made was that hitting the universal help key, F1, from way back in the DOS days, would always bring up AntsWizard. We designed the new experience with a flashy animated icon, the first use of animation at Office, and even broke our own style guide with the font in the interface. AntsWizard arrived as a feature just as people started typing queries into search engines looking for help. Surprisingly, we quickly learned how much easier it was becoming to find answers to usage questions on the internet than it was within our own assistance features. Nevertheless, AntsWizard proved to be one of our first suite-wide features and reinforced the commitment we had to making Office, not just the apps, easier to use. While the marketing story of Office 94 was told through the lens of the suite and consistency and a few significant changes to the product we made in order to emphasize the suite, the constraints of not changing the file format and a small team led to some of the most innovative and memorable app features under the guise of IntelliSense. Some of these features seem so small and trivial, yet they had to be invented at some point, and when they were, they were often the work of a small set of people with a clever idea and the runway to get things done. The online version has a full-page ad for Office that features Answer Wizard. IntelliSense had become the branding moniker for describing intelligent features way back in Office 4. The canonical IntelliSense example was the newly introduced AutoCorrect, first released in Word 6, but brought to all the products in Office 94. The feature was such a big part of Word 6 that the print advertising campaign for it often featured a large T-E-H changed to T-H-E, which was this most common spelling error in English. As with so many things that are incredibly helpful, it wasn't much work. The genesis of the feature was a remarkable story as it set a tone for developing data-driven features for years to come, while Ursul also learning a great deal about global scale and sensitivity to users of vastly different backgrounds and cultures. Dean Akamovich joined the Word team straight out of Harvard's math department as a program manager on the basic use team of Word, which was part of the team tasked with making the product easier to use for core functionality versus focused on long documents or fancy magazine layout features. Word already had many fascinating unused features. One of those features was the glossary, which is a way to type a short phrase, hit a magic keystroke, the F3 key, which also explains why no one ever used the feature, which would then replace the short phrase with the longer text. Dean's insight was that in English, the spacebar could replace the awkward F3. And then he realized he could pre-populate the list of glossary entries with a library of common typos and misspellings in English. This was the origin of correcting T-E-H to T-H-E and hundreds of other words. Other insights included replacing the accidental caps lock key, a lowercase d, a ca uppercase e, a uppercase a, and an uppercase r, and then a space, and then lowercase s, uppercase i, uppercase r, which would turn into dear sir, with the caps lock t turned off. One of the more aggressive uses of autocorrect was turning off the sticky shift key, which caused typos at the start of sentences such as, this is the start, where the T and the H are capitalized. Because so many acronyms were used in businesses, often with plurals, such as PCs, where the S is in lowercase, this feature was held back from Word 6 until an elegant solution could be devised for Office 94. As the first do-what-I-mean feature, autocorrect was revolutionary, the key lesson in building automatic features was their value when they worked. And when they did not, the frustration levels soared. This tension over doing more for people while also not introducing errors or mistakes or breaking muscle memory 
was a theme in the evolution of IntelliSense and also proved to be a wedge issue across the products. For example, Excel resisted the idea of autocorrect for common formula typos because of the potential to insert the wrong formula or the wrong reference to a named cell. This was a real concern, but at times seemed somewhat stubborn from the OPU perspective. It was a classic example of Excel users are different, to which the OPU refrain was, why, because they don't make typos? This would be worked out, but navigating these cross-group opinions was time-consuming and, and rather difficult. Given the success of autocorrect, it became a star feature of Office, embraced by all the applications with some app-specific constraints. Importantly, this feature was one of the first shared across all the apps. The same typos got fixed in the same way, no matter where they were made. The online version includes um, some of the online training for Office that shows what autocorrect did and how it worked across the apps. Autocorrect could not catch everything, though. A lesson from Word 6 was that being too aggressive and making mistakes was far worse than leaving extra work for the user. As a result, autocorrect didn't replace traditional spell check, but the idea of helping automatically when possible informed us on ways to introduce a dramatic improvement to spelling. In developing IntelliSense features, we learned that our corrections needed to be right 100% of the time. Being wrong even a little bit felt to customers like we were wrong all the time. This is a lesson the industry continues to learn with today's autocorrect on phones. Spellcheck was the original feature that distinguished word processors from typewriters. At first, most companies that sold word processors sold companion spell checkers that often cost as much as the word processor itself. These largely competed among products by the size of spelling dictionaries and the ability to add custom dictionaries, such as legal or medical terms. Using these and Microsoft Spellchecker was a modal experience. That is, the user would invoke the spell checker and begin to identify and correct spelling errors one at a time, unable to do anything else in the product. This was time-consuming and frustrating. The process was stopped when a correction was needed and then restarted, and every falsely flagged word required the user to click on an ignore button. A spelling error resulting in a substantial change often reset this whole process, requiring a full scan of the document again. The online version includes two vintage ads for separate spelling checking, including the price of one product that was $645 at retail way back in the early 1980s. Office 94 took two major steps in spelling, autocorrect and then background spelling, which became iconic Office features. Originally, spell check was a feature of Word. There was never any thought to giving it in Excel where there weren't a lot of words. Another case of Excel users are different. Excel users have been evolving in their desire to use Excel all the time. On Wall Street, Excel was such a hammer that it was being used to nail everything. One of the biggest new scenarios was using Excel to create pitch books for financial products. By removing grid lines and making clever use of fonts, borders, table widths, and the sophisticated macro programming language that was a hallmark of Excel, one could create a pitch book without ever leaving the comfort of a spreadsheet. In Excel 3.0, there was even a presentation template that made Excel look like PowerPoint, complete with animated transitions between slides, which were really ranges of cells. It made sense, therefore, that adding spell check would finally become a useful feature to Excel. Word Excel and PowerPoint adding robust spell check proved to be a nice addition and emphasized the suite. Word had created a breakthrough idea, which went on to be a universal feature anywhere people typed, background spell check, or the ubiquitous little red squiggles under mostly misspelled words. 
The origin of a feature was a product of a multiple set of small ideas and thoughts that piled up over time, starting with an incredibly novel research approach the Word team had done using Word 6. Reed Koch, email Reed K, a longtime program manager and dad, was one of the early proponents of studying how people use the product in the real world. This was not as easy as it sounds before the internet and cloud computing. To study the product in the wild, the Word team created a special variant of the product called the Instrumented Version, or IV, which was the same product in the marketplace, except it recorded what Word commands were used, menus, toolbar buttons, keyboard shortcuts, dialog boxes, and more, and in what order and frequency. Data was gathered from a small set of selected and foreign volunteers who knew that their actions, but none of their content, was being collected once we installed this special version on their computer. After a few weeks, we collected the data, showing up in person using a stack of floppy disks, and replaced the IV version with the regular product. This use of real-world data was a pioneering effort and formed the foundation of how the applications would collect and use data on the internet in just a few short years. Program managers poured over the data and analyzing it, using Excel, of course, as well as Access, because the data sets were so large. Trying to understand patterns and places where customers were getting stuck using too many steps or failing to use a feature that would have made things easier was how the system worked. The wealth of insights gathered from this approach could not be underestimated, and building IV versions became a significant part of customer search that led to many of the internet and cloud innovations in future releases. The online version, by the way, includes a screenshot of the online training material for how we explain spell checking while you type or background spelling. Aside from the learnings like, like the fact that print was the most common command, more so than save, or that as many people used each of the menu command, keyboard shortcut, and toolbar button for cut, copy, and paste, or that features for assembling long documents like tables of contents or index were not frequently used, all of which we might think is obvious, some important things were annoying users. One of those was the message that would pop up. The spell checking is complete with an OK button. It was a pointless message that did nothing but enter at workflow, but it appeared thousands and thousands of times. In addition, the IV helped to inform the team that with great consistency, if during a spell check a suggestion for a misspelling was chosen as a correction, then it was one of the first suggestions listed or it was ignored. This insight would form the foundation of one of the biggest advances in IntelliSense, spell check while typing. Getting to that feature required connecting a few dots. Invisible to users, Word did work behind the scenes to keep the document up to date for printing while typing or reading. For example, if a document had page numbers and someone added text in the middle, causing the reflow to the next page, then in the background, without slowing Word down, page numbers were adjusted to repaginate the document. In a world of operating systems with limited memory and CPU, this was a really nifty engineering trick. Essentially, Word was its own mini operating system. Today, we take for granted the ability of computers to do work in the background and lots of things at the same time. But prior to Windows Chicago, this wasn't supported and took incredible trickery to pull off. This technique was called the idle loop because it was where the program looped and did nothing while a person was taking those tiny little breaks when typing or thinking. Could this background processing capability also check the spelling of documents without taxing the system and slowing everything down? Writing code to take advantage of this idle processing power was somewhat of an art, and the developers often referred to it as the devil's playground of sorts. One wrong addition or ordering of background tasks 
and the whole thing would grind to a halt and be very difficult to debug. PCs were getting much more powerful, so much more powerful, that when the original spell checkers were programs purchased separately from word processors and run after typing simply because there was not enough memory on the computer. The first word processor I used was called WordStar, and it came with a separate program called SpellStar to check spelling. It was cumbersome. Integrated spell checking was a big improvement, but it was still modal, just like using a separate program with a separate step and manual operation. PCs were 100 times faster since SpellStar, but word processing documents had not grown at the same pace. What could a team do with the power that was otherwise just sitting there idle? Running spell check in the background while typing was simply taking the idea of background processing to the next level. It was so important that the background processing was a key part of the patent application for the feature. The implementation frustrated our partners on the Chicago team and the chip company Intel, who were evangelizing the idea of using Win32 threads as a way to add background processing. It also happened to be a feature of these modern operating systems and chips, but the overhead and complexity of re-architecting for these threads for background spelling, printing, pagination, etc., was far too high for such a critical capability, especially when processors were already becoming far faster than required for editing. The lesson from the instrumented version was that showing the closest matching words from the dictionary using a convenient right-click menu would have a high likelihood of being correct. The red squiggles were simply reflective of a proofreader's style mark, also one of the early uses of color in the interface, just in case Word left the existing interface in the product for good measure. Word also made use of the right-click menu, which had been introduced across products in Office 4 and had become a defining feature for power users in order to show the suggestions from the spell checker. The feature did need a way to communicate with users that something was happening, and so a small animation was placed in the status bar of Word at the bottom of the screen. Originally, the team wanted you to use a tiny buzzing bee, as in spelling bee, but as was quickly pointed out by the diverse team that made up Word, such an iconic representation did not translate to other languages and cultures. The result was a little notebook with a squiggling pencil. Whimsy turned out to be difficult at global scale. The feature was not without critics. There was an unattended side effect of opening a document, which was soon as the background processing kicked in, the misspellings were identified, filling the document with red underlines. Maybe it was a company name or a city or a product name, but all these looked like misspellings, particularly in a word of sharing email attachments when a custom dictionary or ignore list on the other end didn't exist. Word introduced a number of subtle tricks to help with this, such as not marking words as misspelled until an edit and providing an easy ignore button that would note incorrectly marked spelling errors in the text. Still, some people were so frustrated they wrote letters, actual letters, to Bill Gates to complain, and those would invariably end up in my inbox. Often these were just irate at proper names being flagged as misspellings, such as from members of the Fenis family, P-H-E-N-I-S, who often exchanged letters and did not like to see their name underlined, and they especially did not like the first suggestion. We quickly removed the offending suggestion in the next update. The letters back and forth continued for some time as the product update took a while to reach all customers. Sometimes things got a bit over the top. A public radio broadcaster hosting a music show from Oregon was rather irate each week as the playlist was assembled. Every time they queued up their favorite Queen of Soul, the Red Squiggles offended them. 
Again, not just the squiggles, but the alternate suggestion for the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, was really what got them going. As you can sense from these two examples, the words referring to anatomy had to be reviewed and removed as suggestions, even though the word was used by medical doctors and scientists all the time. The host threatened to, quote, unleash the indignation of all their viewers if it was not fixed. The broadcaster was so annoyed, they started sending the letters to their congressional representatives claiming that Microsoft's monopoly power was to blame. That got me in a long thread with what I assumed at the time was a zealous congressional intern. Once again, we removed the words and added names to the dictionary. I only had to endure one last broadcast where the host read the letters uh, showing their success at lobbying Microsoft on air. While such letters were obviously not representative, they proved extremely important to Microsoft's culture. Most every product hallway had a wall of letters from customers, usually at the extremes of loving the product or incredibly awful experiences. Other than the instrumented versions of Office and samples of telephone support calls, anecdotes were the primary real-world inputs. While there was a special product support phone number that executives could use to escalate an incident, the company did not have a systematic approach to the onslaught of problems that came from millions of customers, whether a problem was Microsoft's creation or not. Nevertheless, I enjoyed these letters and the dialogue that came from replying, including the dozens of times I refunded the price of a product for whatever reason brought great frustration to a customer. Background spelling with red squiggles ultimately became a showcase feature for the product and made the lofty phrase IntelliSense make sense to reviewers and customers. Groups all around the company asked for IntelliSense code so they could add it to their products, not even realize it was just marketing. IntelliSense spawned endless jokes for wanting red squiggles under things in real life, as in, this idea should have red squiggles. In brainstorming sessions at a whiteboard, someone would invariably put red squiggles under a misspelling or lame idea. Scott McNally, the founder and CEO of Sun Microsystems, also a Detroit native with Steve Ballmer, famously joked that Microsoft had a whole team of people deciding on red squiggles as an, as an option to change the color. His attempt at making a joke, both misguided and incorrect, about bloated features people don't use. The feature of background spelling became commonplace in every word processor, every text entry field, and every browser, and more. <laughs> 